fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to F Triple G B T. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and makes it a reality. Who does that? We do. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Dennett. Dan, it is so great to be here. I love the movie we're discussing today. I am just a tad nervous. Um, I don't know about you. Occasionally I get these words I just never can pronounce. And the title of this movie is one I always get wrong. So you may see me avoiding it throughout the entire recording of this show. Well, you know, I, I don't blame you for that. There's, there's a lot of words in this um, that my Western tongue can't quite get around. But what, here's a great thing. Shang Chi. His name is Sean. Shang. They have a whole scene where they make fun of it. That's how I always remember it. I don't know if that helps you or not. It does help a lot, Dan. I'm, I'm glad for that tip. That's why you're the analytical mastermind. <laughs> it's what I do. It's what I try to do. But I know a man who has very little trouble with languages, and that is our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from this week? Dan, this week I'm in the Sanctum Sanctorum studying the incredible power of the Ten Rings. There's some unbelievable technology here, possibly of alien origin. Well, luckily, we have an alien technology expert here with us, and so we're going to get to that in a second. So we are going to look at the movie Shang-Chi as kind of a through line, but we've got a lot of very big issues, a lot of major topics to get into that this movie really inspired in me. But let's talk about this movie first, because I got to tell you, you know, when it comes to martial arts movies, believe it or not, I'm not that into them. And that opening scene here, I was a little worried. It was, uh, it was a little slow. It was they had it was almost like a ballerina act, and you would be surprised because I am a lucha libra fan, and over choreographed fighting is right in par with that. So I understand I'm a hypocrite here, uh, but it really you know this movie really picked up with the fight scenes later on, which were very different. So this might be one of my favorite martial arts movies. What a turnaround I had! Uh, it was incredible. Denon, what did you think about this as you were watching it? Well, a little different than you. I actually love that slow motion scene right from the beginning, um, as well as all the action scenes. So we're, we're, we're together on the conclusion, Dan. Okay. But I was in right from the beginning. And I'll tell you, the reason for me was so often the slow motion um, sort of use during martial arts to me is over dramatic, right? They're slowing down something that is a super fast motion. And what I loved about that scene um, is it, it gave you that sense of certain types of martial arts like Aikido that are basically dancing with your partner and using them, uh, you know, their moves against them. And it highlighted that, I don't know, for lack of a better word, defensive martial art mm -hmm. um, that just flows with your enemy. And, and it had a flow instead of a stop and show something slowly feel to me. That's where I was. So I loved the whole thing. I don't know, Ben, this probably means... Dan loved it after the beginning. I loved the whole thing. I hope this doesn't mean, Ben, that you hated it. I'm just curious here. No, I, I thought this was a great movie. And speaking of the martial arts, I martial arts can be tough to follow. So I can appreciate the slowdown because my not being very informed about martial arts and the moves and what kinds of uh, what's in the katas and all this stuff, I really appreciate the slowdown because you can actually – kind of get an appreciation for the skill that these uh, artists are have because when it's sped up to real speed it happens so fast you can't even tell really what happens 
I guess so. Here's what I'm saying, guys. Those slowdowns, it wasn't really a slowdown to emphasize the moves. It was a slowdown so two people could make googly eyes at each other while while flower petals <laughs> rain down around them. So, <laughs> you know, I understand what you guys are saying, but I don't think any of that is really a part of that original scene. Denon, I don't know how many fights you've been in, but I can't imagine you've made googly eyes. If anything, when you're in the heat of the battle, time speeds up, it doesn't slow down. Yeah, I, I don't know what it says about us, Dan, that you focused on the googly eyes, and I really appreciated the martial art moves. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> All, right. All right, fair enough. Well, I think, you know, once we get past the googly eyes, which, you know, I'm having a hard time doing, you know, we get into some really interesting stuff here, because as the movie opens up, we see Zhu Wenwu. I think I'm getting that name right. Uh, and we see these ten rings that take on. It's both part of the, the, the title of the movie, and it's the, in some ways, they are the main character of this movie, or at least my favorite character, because they they do so much. They have so many abilities, physical abilities, but also psychological impact on, on all the characters in this movie. Um, so I want to talk about, you know, it's a physics show, it's a science show. We got to get into the physics and the engineering of this. So quickly, these Ten Rings seem to have uh, an, a list of incredible powers. They seem to have a force field. There seems to be slight gravity or at least, uh, you know, gravity levitation or gravity repulsion. Let me say that clearly for once. Uh, they shoot energy. They seem to be able to propel people. They say they give them the power of the god, the power of immortality. There's a lot going on here. Some of the physics doesn't line up, but as our ancient, there's, a, there's a, a hint that these might be alien in origin. Who better to look at alien technology than ancient aliens own? Friendly skeptic, Dr. Michael Denon, also known as our physics phenom. What did you see going on here? You know, Dan, at the end of the day, I think actually this is way simpler than it looks on the surface. I, you mentioned all the, the amazing powers. And I actually, you know me, I'm all about preparation. Mm -hmm. Like, I watch these shows over and over, take detailed notes, and really prep for our sequences. The audience may not know that about me. I, so I, I, I didn't I know that about you. That's amazing. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you know, or maybe I don't. It's a mystery. <laughs> but I did go back and rewatch that opening sequence, and I realized this is all about energy, Dan. It's all about the the sort of two fundamental physics laws at their core, energy and then the second law of thermodynamics and entropy. And everything comes down to that. And we can come back to the details and I can sort of show that. But this is the power of physics here to simplify. And the challenge is, we've talked about it all the time in this show, how do you get that much energy or a source for that much energy in that small an area? This is, you know, if you solve that problem, you solve the rings and you can build them. And we as humans decide to give up on that and build the internet instead. Um, and, so, you know, ben, <laughs> ben has talked over and over about the digital revolution versus the energy one. And I'm going to turn it to Ben for that because that's the core of this. I'm not sure if it's one to one there, Denon, but I do want to hear what, what Ben has to say. No, that's absolutely right. Uh, you know, we have we, we, we got our digital revolution. We got our information revolution. And we don't have the power revolution that it would take to make the ten rings. So, but what's interesting about them is they are they're they're small, and to some degree, I wouldn't say they're inert, but they certainly don't seem to have a power source within them that could be that powerful. So clearly, they must be funneling that power from some other place, maybe another dimension, maybe they're just a conduit for uh, a long distance quantum energy kind of thing. Maybe they contain a lot of dark matter or dark energy that we don't understand yet. I think that's kind of what's going on. You know, if they are in fact alien tech, then clearly these aliens have figured out a way to create a power source in a much smaller device than we know how to do yet. 
And Dan, I just I did not touch on that alien thing, which is what you led into me. I did, uh, yeah, led, yeah. Led, led to me with right. You did a nice matrix move around it. I was pretty impressed. With that. I, I did. You <laughs> yeah, liked it, yeah, yeah. but I want to reiterate what what Ben said there. This is the common theme whenever you hear the cry, "Oh, it's alien tech!" Right? It's because there's something deeply connected to the energy generation or the way it uses energy or appears to use energy that makes us think alien tech because it's our inability to make energy sources like that that confuses us. One of my favorite things that I'm able to work into this conversation, uh, have you guys ever heard of Alex Chu? I have not, Dan. I have. <laughs> ben may know where I'm going with this, uh, but I, I'm so excited because back in 1999, we're going back, you know, what is that, 20 years now? Oh, my God. Uh, no, is that's not 20 years. Is that, that is 20 years. No, yeah, no, yeah 22 20 years, years. 22 Dan. years. Yeah, going back. Yep, uh, you're awesome at math there, Dan, as always. <laughs> hey, I'm not our mathematician, thank God. Um, but what I love about Alex Chu is he was on an episode of The Daily Show, and he was showing these immortality rings that he had. And I also believe he is of Chinese descent here. That, that cannot be a coincidence. Um, but these immortality rings are still available. I'm going to put, uh, you know, I'm going to put links on the website. But they're based on magnets. He even tells you how to make them at home. You wear them on your rings. You can wear them on your toes. And let me give you the, the sales pitch here. You wear eternal life. They're called eternal life rings. Wear eternal life rings on your small finger during sleep, around 8 to 10 hours a day. The fixed polarity will regener will generate stronger metabolism by increasing the magnetic flux of your body, further generating an increased healing process. The ring should keep the user physically young as long as the user doesn't stop wearing the rings. I don't know if there's any truth to this. I just wanted to really work this into our conversation. Ben, you <laughs> seem very familiar with this. Have you created this? Have you improved on this? Or are you going to completely debunk them? Uh, well, it, it's unfortunately very tough to debunk uh, ring, uh, t this type of technology. But what we do know is that magnets don't really have that much of an effect on our biology. Uh, you know, there's not really much magnetic in our body. There's the iron in our blood, and the blood itself is diamagnetic because of just water is like that. But you really need a very strong magnet to, to see any sort of effect like that. And... All I'll say is I don't think he has any peer-reviewed studies that show uh, any sort of immortality so far in this past 22 years. Would you consider yourself a peer, Ben? Like, if I got you a couple of these rings, could you peer-review them? Uh, I couldn't peer-review them. We would need a lot of empirical data for that, Dan, not just one anecdote. And your whole <laughs> lifetime, I guess, to make sure that the... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, you know, Dan, I am glad, mm. very glad you brought up immortality here because this is where the beauty of physics comes in in an interesting way that people don't usually understand, right? If I'm going to make immortality rings like the rings of power in the movie, um, they start with exactly the correct premise, which is you need an energy source. Because when we think about what aging really is at the, at the sort of most simplest physics level, it's entropy winning over energy, Right. You, you being alive is a highly organized unit. You being dead is highely disorganized. And, and, <laughs> and entropy drives to disorder, yeah. right? So sure. without an injection of energy, the natural thing is to increase entropy, hence die. And so the fact that you are constantly taking in energy is what keeps you alive. Right. And so, so the basic physics principle is straightforward. Yes, a ring of power like those rings is the starting point for making eternal life. Now, 
then it becomes an engineering problem and I just step out of the picture, <laughs> right? To actually have that energy convert in any useful way to maintaining your life is the trick. And that's the hard part. And I think Ben's completely right. We know simple magnetism won't do it. It takes something more. And so that's what I love about this. The basic physics principle is great. The, the actual execution, hard to understand. Yeah, ab absolutely. It, it's really tough to prolong life like that. And I'm sure we'll discuss something like that in the future. But <laughs> I, I think what's important to, to realize here with the, with the ring of power here is, is that power can do things. Like, so we know that our DNA strands degrade over time. And having a power source that somehow uh, repairs them for us so that our body isn't constantly degrading us, that could improve our uh, our longevity in ways we don't really understand and don't know how to do yet, unfortunately. I think that's a great point. And, you know, and I love that little that little foreshadowing, Ben, because I can guarantee as much as I can guarantee that these cups will end up in our merch store on our website. We will be talking about elongated life in a very near future episode that I'm very excited about. But when we're talking about rings of power, you know, rings we know about power we know about. But one of those things can corrupt us un unconditionally. So I've got to ask you guys. Let's say you found these rings of power. You've got the alien tech. Then, and I think you're probably closer to this than anyone else, but you're on site. You find these rings of power. You suddenly have unbridled power that no one can really control. You can do whatever you want. Denon, what are you doing with this power? Are you using it for good? Are you using it for evil? We've seen a, a dark turn in you this season, and I feel like this may be the culmination uh, of that heel turn, as they say in the wrestling business. Are you going to go evil with this, or are you going to go to the good? Well, definitely going to go to the good, Dan, and, and I can tell that because my first instinct was, well, will this improve my chocolate chip cookie making or not? Um, you know, because really... <laughs> Big thoughts, Denon. You've got these grandiose plans for this power. <laughs> Right, right. But imagine if you could make the perfect chocolate chip cookie, the happiness you could bring to the world. And that's the key to like making things better. Um, Fair enough. You, you got it all figured out. You figured out world peace. It, it's much more simple than taking away the bombs. It's bringing the cookies. Dan, I love that you brought this up because with the cookies, the, the perfect use of these rings is you can power everybody's ovens for free. Perfect clean energy. Now everyone can practice cookies to their heart's content and not worry about running up their power and gas bills. <laughs> See, Dan, yeah. it all comes together. But <laughs> I do think, you know, one of the challenges I think we have is, and you see this in all the great works of literature, um, like Lord of the Rings, which we may come back to, who knows? Um, and you see this in the, you know, the the stories of us meeting alien like civilizations that have a higher tech, right? We, we, you, the phrase power corrupts, I think partly comes from power itself can actually, is, is very difficult to use for a way to install something good, right? Because if you go through a route of power, there, there is almost always something you're destroying, which then leads to more power and uh, this route and, and spiral downward. So um, to make another like very obscure reference, um, I love the Discworld series by Terry Pratchett. And in that world, the key to being a wizard is to not actually use magic. And I think the key to these rings is to have them and not use them and figure out how to turn that in a way for good, Dan. That, that's where I'm going with this. I think that that's great. And, you know, I don't know where you guys actually stand, but I'm going to tell you what I would do with unbridled power. So I'm not going to lie. The first thing I would do is I would wreak vengeance upon my enemies, and there is a long list. But after that, <laughs> I think I would— I hope I'm not on it, Dan. No, you're not yet. You're not yet. <laughs> oh, no, good. no. You're on my good side. Um, ben fluctuates back and forth, but right now he's, on, he's not on my enemies <laughs> list. 
Um, but here's what I would do. I would tell you that I would probably make some pretty commendable attempts, uh, in my opinion, uh, at world peace. <laughs> but I think I would grow frustrated by the stubborn nature of humanity and their need to constantly kill each other. So then I felt I feel like I would have to take the world by force and and then take that stiff iron hand and kind of shove love and peace down people's throats. I think that's the only way to really do it, especially when we're dealing with humanity. But what I'm trying to tell you is, is that even someone who's got the the uh, almost, you would think, incorruptible ethics that I do, I would be turned by this unbridled power. And that's what happens in this. And I think you guys would turn as well. Uh, ben, you didn't really answer the question. Do you think you would turn to the dark side or do you think you could hang on to this and do the right thing? Well, I think what's interesting to think about is what you could do with unlimited power. Uh, you know, we, we've seen, you know, lots of people go the wrong way. You know, if you think about uh, Jafar in Aladdin, he goes, unlimited power, and, you know, goes all evil and takes that. Well, he was already healed. It's not much. <laughs> right. It's yeah. a healer turn, healist turn, <laughs> yeah. perhaps. Yeah. But uh, yeah. he goes from being, like, comically evil to being, like, insidiously evil. Actually evil. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think what's interesting is if you think about what causes conflict in our world today, it's almost always things revolving around power, energy, and resources. And if you had this unlimited power, you could solve a lot of those problems. If you know people didn't have to fight over oil, if people didn't have to fight over water because we had the energy to pump good fresh water to the places we need it instead of having places that are too wet and other places that are too dry you know a lot of these problems can be solved with unlimited energy and also probably unlimited resources to build uh, the pipelines to get you know things like water where it needs to go but I think you know that's what's amazing about this energy revolution if we truly could have this energy revolution we could solve a lot of those problems uh, that are in the world today which almost always come down to scarcity and unequal distribution you know, Dan, something that Ben said there triggered what I would actually do with the rings. I now have solved, solved your problem for you. The problem is using the rings is limited. Like, I think you're right. Despite Ben's great, Ben, Ben's, Ben's, Ben's great suggestion, right? Despite Ben's great suggestion to try and solve this unlimited power, one set of rings is not going to do it. I know they describe it as unlimited power, but let's face it, it's limited by one person using it. And I think, Dan, you na nailed it, right? You would try and do good, and you would get frustrated, and then you'd have to take over. But what you missed is as the analytical mastermind, you made a one minor error here, Dan. It's a rare error. Mm -hmm. You reverse engineer the rings and multiply them. And then you get Ben's multiple sources of power. And, you, you know, you're smart. You put a little safety valve on it so it can only be used for a sort of generic energy generation that Ben is talking about, not offensive attack energy generation. And, and that is a way, I think, to propagate peace and goodwill around the world. But you've got to reverse engineer the rings, figure out the source of the energy revolution, and share it with all peoples of the world. That's how you preserve your integrity, Dan, because I'd hate to see you go evil. You, you'd like the inner turmoil for you would be just too much. And I'd be very sad. I think, you know, I think you're right there. And I, I like that you called me out. I did make a critical error there, but I got to return the favor here, Denon, because I think you made a critical error as well. Uh, you, I think that you have this view of humanity that they're going to take this energy and they're going to say, hey, you know what? We're going to do this for good and we're going to save humanity as a group, as a people, we're going to come together. Well, I'm the cynic here, Denon, and I think if you were to 
to reverse engineer these rings, no matter what safety valve you put in. There are going to be hackers out there. There are going to be people who can figure it out. They're going to take control of these rings because you can't give every citizen of the world a set of these rings. So only some people are going to have them. So you're still going to have that power difference. But now instead of having one person you have to deal with, you're going to have thousands of people you're going to have to deal with. And I think that that could possibly, your 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 answer here, Denon, your solution may cause the downfall of both humanity and the world. I don't know if that's being a little too sensational, but we could all die if we left it into your hands. Well, you might, but then all the bad people would be gone too. We'd, we'd have a few good left and we'd start over. <laughs> Kill them all and let God sort them out, I think is what the t-shirt says. Uh, so, you know, and I want to, so I'm going to take a little, a little turn here because one of the things about this movie that I thought, again, I thought was really interesting that they don't really talk about is this character of Zhu Wenwu. He's so interesting to me. Like, Shang-Chi's great. I love him as a hero, and I, I can't wait to see him in other movies. But when it comes to the storyline, the, the people, the conflict, what's really interesting to me is Zhu Wenwu is really interesting for several reasons, but not the least of which is essentially with these rings of power, he takes over the world. I mean, in some ways, at least early on, and then creates this this force, um, you know, the, the Ten Rings, I think that's what the, the group is called. Uh, and they, you know, they kind of have their way with the world. I mean, it, it's kind of crazy. And it got me thinking, if there was one modern piece of technology, so let, let first of all, we're going to set this premise, this hypothetical with, you know, we're going to, we're going to say, hey, here's the caveat, time travel is possible, and we're going to go back in time, and we're going to try to take over the world. I know the, th- the four of us wouldn't, the three of us, four of us, what four am I talking about? I got a mouse in my pocket here. The three of us, the three of us are going to Yeah, get- and I think you're talking about your evil twin that emerged today. <laughs> I think you're I think you're right. I don't know what's happening here. I'm, my personalities are splitting. Uh, so I'm going to try to keep this under control. We got a time machine. We're going to go back in time and we're going to try to take over civilization. How far back can we go is the question. We're going to bring back one piece of modern technology in an attempt to take over civilization. Uh, Denon, I'm curious, what would you take back and why we're going to go with evil den in here. We're going to go with evil den, Denon, uh, regular Ben, and evil Dan. Uh, what are we doing here, Denon? Going to you first. You know, it's a it's a challenging question because if I'm going back to take over the world, right? Um, you know, do I go shock and awe and bring like a couple of nuclear weapons and try and you know spread spread the terror and everybody just caves into me? Um, you know, do I do- go a little more subtle? Um, you know, machine gun type thing and just hope I bring enough ammo. And as I thought through this, you know, I, I, I'm torn between he who controls the sky controls the world and, and bringing sort of a fighter bomber jet, um, you know, one of our hybrid um, planes. I do have the problem of bringing enough jet fuel that worried me a little bit. Um, or do I go tank um, and, and sort of have that defensive, you know, sort of dragon-esque Right, breathing fire by uh, shooting the tank stuff, but I'm I'm very defended. I'm very you know protected, and I take that from again the research I did rewatching the opening scene. Um, he is very successful because what he first does is make a local force field around himself, and so the massive number of arrows can't impact him. Um, he doesn't actually protect his army. It's not a generic force field. It's a very small and tight one. So I think a tank leading an, uh, an army horde that I sort of inspire when I show them my tank is the way I take over. So that that's where I landed. I know that was a long-winded answer, Dan, but I wanted to take you through the logic. Um, I still love the airplane idea, but I'm just afraid I'm going to run out of jet fuel. Makes sense to me. Uh, I mean, Ben, what are you doing here? Are you going shock and awe, or are you going to go more subtle? You know, I, I think... I think Den's got the right approach here of, you know, you need to get followers. But I think you have to think a little bit more about how to get 
how to inspire followers into wanting to follow you. And, you know, if you think about what sort of technology has truly changed the world, especially before like the internet and things like that, it's agriculture. It's agricultural technology that freed people to do all the things we have in modern society. You know, if you go back over 100 years ago, most people were farmers. And it was only modern technology that freed them to do things like invent the internet or invent airplanes or invent, uh, you know, pinball machines and all all our other wonderful walks, <laughs> things that we have in our life t- today. I think that was the I think that was the progression, Ben. I think that's exactly yeah. Right. It's definitely the pinball machine. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So I think what you do is you bring back all of the pieces of of crop technology that don't require heavy machinery to keep up. You know, it'd be great to bring back a combine harvester that you know can can uh, harvest a 20, 60 foot wide piece of a field at once but maintaining that in an age without plastic without fuel without you know modern metallurgy is not really possible but what you could bring back is the genetics you could bring back hybrid crops that have way better yield than what they had back in the day you could bring back other modern pieces like how do you make modern fertilizers modern other you know maybe modernize some tools that could work back in the day without all that modern metallurgy. And I think that you now you freed an entire country of the drudgery of farm work. And all of a sudden now, now you've inspired a whole world and you can, you know, take over. I mean, I like what you guys are doing there. I mean, shock and awe is great. Inspiring people. That's great. I I went in a totally different direction uh, and probably one that may not only scare the two of you, but may scare our listeners. Um, But I'm looking at our modern age and how much that we have as a world been crippled by this virus that's taking over. So I thought if I'm going to go back and take over antiquity, how about a little Yersina pestis, uh, pestis, a.k.a. the Black Death? We can vaccinate ourselves for it. But if we take a virus back, which in some ways is technology, right? We can adjust it. We can change the genetic code. Um, And if we bring it back, if I bring it back and I vaccinate myself for it, now what I have is I can now instill fear. I can, I am the messenger of death. I can be one of the four horsemen of the pestilence apocalypse. And what better way to gain followers in an extraordinarily superstitious time than by both giving, uh, giving death and giving life because you can bring back the cure as well, antibiotics. It's a bacteria, right? So you can inspire. Really what you're doing is you're, insp- it's, this is the shock and awe, Denon, right? You're shocking people because sure, you can have a big tank, but if someone builds a big, tr- a big trench or something, the tank falls over, it's useless, right? You run out of fuel. You don't have a fighter jet. You burn crops. You can burn the fields. Can you, you have to burn p- the dead of the people that have stacked up before they will listen to you and instill you into power. That's what I'm going to say. And I also want to mention one other thing as I was in, in, a, in a creepy way looking up epidemics in the world. The bubonic plague has has plagued us as humanity for a very long time. There have been four major outbreaks, including one in 541, 1346, 1629, and 1855, which means we may think we have a handle on it, but it can still get out of control. That's how powerful this technology is, despite the fact that it wiped out almost nearly half of Europe. Now, in my very capable hands, guys, I think that this is the way to go about it. Although it is evil, this may turn me to the dark side. But as I mentioned, this is evil, Dan. I wouldn't, good Dan wouldn't do this. The analytical mastermind wouldn't do it. Um, but the, you know, harbinger of death, Dan, Daniel J. Glenn, the harbinger of death, would do this. What do you guys think about that? Well, besides being very, very scared right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know the the the, cha- the challenge really dad is i think i think control 
So, you know, I, I hate to say this. I'm, 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 I'm really leaning towards Ben winning this because, you know, my plan had, has the problem of, like you said, somebody builds a trench. Though, as we learned in World War II, I just drive around it. Um, now, <laughs> you know, but I, I, even, even the tank could run out of fuel. I mean, the jet fuel is harder, I think, to maintain than the tank fuel. But the tank has its issues, you know. But, but, but your method, I think, has, has risks. Um, of control, right? Like the spread can get out of hand. You may not be able to cure enough for people to really like you. You may just inspire so much terror they just kill you, Dan, immediately as a witch, right? Burn you at the stake. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't and, need them and, to like me, Dan. I need them to fear me. That's all. Yeah, but they may fear you so much they burn you, right? Like enough of them can come at you, right? That, that's what happened. <laughs> there's, there's risks with everything, but yeah. There's risks right. with everything. Whereas Ben Ben has the slow and steady approach. And as we know from the tortoise and hare um, story, um, slow and steady wins the race. And, and I think that's it. And I think I've now, I think if we go back and check, we've made a record of pop culture references by throwing the tortoise and hare on top of Terry Pratchett, <laughs> on top of Lord of the Rings, you know, on top and of Aladdin, you re- Aladdin <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Um, this, this could be a record for the show. I, I, I'd like the, um, scorekeepers to let me know if we've now broken a new record. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. What do you think about this, Ben, before we finish up here? What do you think about this? You think Dennis is right? Do you think you are the tortoise that's going to win the race? Race, or is it going to be me, the hare, who's going to take a nap but still finish strong? You know, I think it's uh, it's always the, you know, you got to go to a different uh, saying, you know, you catch more flies with honey. And I think, uh, you know, I think, I think going for the peaceful approach and bringing technology that helps people is going to get you a lot further than death and fear. At least I hope that's how humanity works. Well, if we're talking about catching flies, nothing catches more flies than a dead body. Uh, but, you know, that's going to be the last statement. Uh, but we've arrived. Thankfully for some people, we've arrived at our errors, additions, and omissions section. This is things we wanted to talk about, but we didn't quite get to. Denon, is there anything about <laughs> causing death, shock and awe, uh, the Ten Rings, or Shang-Chi that you wanted to talk about that we didn't quite get to? Well, you know, Dan, we, we talked about this in, in our prepping. We've alluded to it here. And I actually have become thoroughly convinced that the Ten Rings are the Nine Rings of the Nazgul plus the One Ring, released from Mount Doom upon the destruction of the One Ring, or attempted destruction, shot through space, hence the ancient alien technology, bringing it all together, landing on Earth. Um, you, you see a lot of the characteristics here. I know the Nazgul turn ugly, but they do live forever. Um, so you've got the long life, you've got the power, you've got the energy generation. Um, there is some interesting script, as Ben points out, on the rings. I think there is a whole area of Tolkien um, research that's just opened up for scholars here. Um, scholars of the world, join our show, look to see what's going on, and tell us, are these the nine rings plus the one, or is this something else? That's that. It's a call to action, Dan. That may be one of the greatest revelations that I have ever heard on this show. I think you have really tied together not only the greatest secrets of our time, but possibly the greatest secrets of humanity, or at least in pop culture literature. I love that theory. I think it's correct, actually. Uh, so let's let's keep looking into that, people. Please get on this for sure. Let's get some. We got to get this taught in schools. Denon, you can help with that for sure. Uh, ben, what about you? Is there anything else besides that you want to comment on Denon's incredibly ingenious uh, theory here, or is there anything else? you want to talk about that we didn't quite get to well i think i want to build a little bit on denon's uh theory here is what this also tells us some great stuff about lord of the rings which is clearly everybody in lord of the rings must be enormous giants if rings that fit on our wrists fit on their fingers so (laughs) i think that tells us even more about 
what a magical and gigantic world uh, Middle Earth truly is. <laughs> Spoken like a true Disney fan. Um, so I had a couple of things here. You know, I think um, I forget which one of you said you were going to. Oh, Denon, I think you said you're going to mess up a bunch of the a bunch of the names here. Uh, one of the things I loved about this that we didn't that we didn't really talk about at all, and I think it's underreported when it comes to the show, is all the mythological creatures. I, I love mythological creatures. It's so much fun to see ones from the, the the Chinese culture because we don't see them a lot here in the Western culture. Uh, but you got the fox with nine tails called a huli. Jing. Uh, this is also in one of my one of my other favorite TV shows, um, Lovecraft Country. That's one of the characters in that is one of these nine-tailed fox creatures. Uh, you've got a phoenix-like bird called a Fueng Huang, uh, the Imperial Guardian Lions. Then you've got Morris the Hundun, who has no face but four wings, which is really crazy. And of course, a huge Chinese dragon, which I, I love Chinese dragons. I think they're a lot of fun. The reference to the Mandarin, I didn't realize it, it. It totally blew my mind here. But in one, the Mandarin is one of my favorite enemies. He's a, he's an, he was an Iron Man enemy in the comic books, and he had ten rings, but not like this where you wear them on your wrist. He had ten rings on each, five on each hand. He couldn't have ten on each hand. Five on each hand, and each ring did something different. And I just I loved that idea. He was one of my favorite enemies. Did not even make the connection here until they mentioned it in the movie. And finally, there's a, a scene where uh, someone throws their hat like Kung Lao in Mortal Kombat. Who was my favorite character from Mortal Kombat 2? Loved that reference. So we have a question from the audience, guys. Now, this one, this one was sent to me on Twitter by a guy named Micer Console. Uh, or Mike Rowe console. I don't know how you quite pronounce that. So this is the exact this is the exact exchange, and I will let us deal with it as we will. It says fictional tech, eh? Okay. Explain how the Wookiee Bowcaster works. Better yet, the Animus from Assassin's Creed. Now, let's talk about the Wookiee Bowcaster because I think these are really fun. This is going to be right up your guys' alley. You know, I think this is a laser-powered crossbow that's possibly more accurate than a blaster. There's lots of stuff going on here. Ben, you like Star Wars. I know you like Disney. They're both now one and the same. What do you think about this? I think what's important about the Bowcaster is it's clearly just a blaster rifle with some accessory on it. I don't actually think... The bow part of it does anything. Maybe it's some balance. You know, if you if you look at some of our modern uh, actual like compound bow, compound bows that they use in say Olympics Olympic events, they have all these sticks and counterbalancer things uh, hanging off the front of the bow. And I think what the bowcaster is is some great uh, counterbalancing and such that the Wookies can actually aim, unlike the stormtroopers with their normal blaster rifles. You know, Ben, I think that is brilliant. As someone who just recently took up archery, and I just use my simple recurve bow, but I'm at the range and there's all these people, like you said, with stuff hanging off their bows that, as far as I can tell, are all about balance and weight and counterweight. Um, I was just going to go with Dan. It makes it look pretty because there's no re there's just no physics connection. We know a blaster is real, right? We've explained sure. it before on this show in many places. <laughs> um, there's absolutely no reason to like have a bow-like, structure to make a blaster like it, it's inconceivable why you would do this until the genius ben points out that it is is for balance and a wookie you know physiology is different than the human physiology so they probably designed their blasters with a different sort of structure of weights and counterbalances so that's what i'm going with I mean, it makes sense to me. I mean, I love all that. Now, the other part of that question is about the Animus from Assassin's Creed. Now, I have to say that this one is a little difficult to, to discuss because the, the premise is it reads gen genetic, ancestral genetic information 
ancestral information from your genetics, meaning it takes a look at your DNA and sees what people in the past were like, and then it can project them uh, in a 3D form onto, uh, you know, in, into an, a 3D space, obviously. Now, this is hard to explain because I think it's the, it's a false premise. I, I don't think our ancestral code is really locked into our DNA. I don't think that's possible. So, you know, we I would I'd refer you to our reminiscence episode, you know, can we project and relive our memories? We did a lot with that, which I think is some of the tech that, that you really want to get into, because I don't believe, and I'm going to quickly go to Ben here, I don't think our ancestry is really in our genetic code in the way it's displayed in this comic book. I know that there is some, we got a lot of junk DNA, you know, especially the Y chromosome, as you've mentioned before, Ben, yep. uh, but I, I don't think this is possible. What do you think here? Final word. Well, I think what it shows is, you know, to some degree, we can trace our ancestry back through our DNA. Obviously, you know, at a certain point of generations, it's very difficult because, you know, you're, you're losing, you're getting half of your uh, chromosomes from each parent. And then if you go to the grandparents, it's only a quarter. Great grandparents, it's an eighth. You know, that kind of falls apart after a while. Eventually, you're at less than one chromosome per ancestor. And then it gets kind of tricky to figure out where you're truly from on an individual basis. But on a more broad basis, you know, we have these tools from, uh, from various uh, genetic ancestry services that can tell us to some degree where we're from. And if you combine that ancestry information with other knowledge of what people were like in the back, I guess you could, I think it's reasonable to say you could project that based on linking and not a direct uh, reference from the genetics itself. So, so, Dan, I went a completely different way here. I know you told Benny had the last word, but I'm going to be rude and, and, and take the last word. <laughs> I expect nothing less, Dan, and get in there. Say you what know, you want. We, we, we've talked a lot about quantum time travel, quantum connections, time loops, and time connections. I think the only way you could imagine doing this is if you solve the problem of connecting over time. You do use the DNA as an anchor to the past. Mm. The DNA itself obviously does not contain any memories. You're not reading the DNA for memories. The brain, when you make memories, does not go re-engineer your DNA with those memories. However, th there is perhaps a quantum resonance signal with an equivalent DNA molecule in the past. Um, and, and you could imagine building a tech around that if you could solve that quantum time resonance piece. So see past episodes. Many of them have discussed this. That's how I would connect it. I think that that's great. And you can have the final word because when you, when you tie it up like that, I think it makes perfect sense. See our past episodes. Uh, plug. For, I, I support any plug for watching our previous episodes. But if you, if you have a question, a burning question you want us to answer, you can get in touch with us. We're easy to get in touch with. As a show, we are on Twitter, at FGGBTPod. We're on Facebook, at FGGBT. And we have an email address you can send your questions to. Wait for it. Questions at FGGBT.com. That's the best way. But you can get in touch with us individually should you have a question for an individual member of the Brain Trust. Denon, where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Denon Michael. You just flip my name. Um, and then if you want to look for me on Facebook, it's at Prof Denon Michael. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B. S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on Twitter, at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram, at the Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook, at Analytical Mastermind. And if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, make sure to rate and review and be sure to be subscribed. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit that like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. 
And finally, this show contains powerful scientific information that can be misused by those hell-bent on world domination, which I'm now convinced is one of the three of us. But hopefully that is not the case because we always say, you want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. So please take that advice and remember, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, ftriplegbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there ftriplegbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.